0: have your Bibles this morning, you would turn to Psalm chapter 8, Are you reading out of the New American Standard Bible, Psalm chapter eight. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength. ...because of your adversaries to, take, to make the enemies and the re- revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained... ...what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands... You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
1: Good morning, church family. Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And this, just on the off chance that this is one of those days where you're, you're wondering, well, what, what's the point going to be of this? Um, here's the point. Jesus has a way of orchestrating things so that people must decide whether they're with him. I wonder this morning, are you with him? Will it, Will this be such a time that Jesus orchestrates in your hearing of the Word of God the call to come to Him as He is, that you may be with Him for all eternity? Have you noticed that Jesus does this? I mean, how can you live in the world today and not notice that it's becoming more and more difficult for people to straddle the fence when it comes to allegiance to Jesus. Um, The the watching world has a way of asking, who is Jesus to you? Um, are, Are you with him or not? Now, we're not asked that directly, but it's implicit in much of our daily living. Christians are increasingly seen as, as, as dreamers to be ignored, uh, the, the ignorant to be re-educated. Have you noticed this? Problems that need to be dealt with. And we feel the tension, some of us, in our workplaces, uh, at school, in the voting booth, um, maybe even when our extended family gathers for Easter. Jesus has a way of orchestrating things so that people must decide whether they're with him or not. And I pray you're encouraged this morning as we turn to Matthew's gospel, that when you feel that tension, especially this week, it's always been this way. It's not a new thing. And I pray you're encouraged to read of our king's delight in the simple faith shown by some glad children in ancient Jerusalem. As the world seeks to hush you up, as the world back then tried to hush those kids up, know this, Jesus delights in those who proclaim him personally and publicly. Our text this morning I know is familiar, but let me just remind you, um, what it's to do with this? This is Matthew 21, presenting to us Jesus as King. Matthew's gospel, as you recall, is all about that—the King who is Jesus—and uh, this is the King's own unveiling to his people. Up up until this time that we're about to read about, Jesus has been, you know, cautioning his disciples not to tell everybody who he is. Um, he's deliberately avoided public rallies in uh, his support. In fact, the scripture says when, when when the people tried to forcibly make him their earthly king, uh, Jesus withdrew. Why? Well, he kept saying, My, the time has not yet come. Well, on Palm Sunday, that all changes. On, on this day that we call Palm Sunday... Actually, it was known to the Jews as Lamb Selection Day. Just file that away for later. Um, King Jesus plans and and provokes a very public demonstration of his kingship. A a kingship that uh, has been promised to humanity going all the way back to Genesis and so if you're here this morning and you're just wondering, well, what, what is the point of all of this really palm branches and, and a donkey and, and all of that sort of thing? Well, well, again, it's to do with this reality that Jesus is always orchestrating events so that people need to decide, are you with him or not? And he delights in those who proclaim him personally and publicly. That's a bit of a wind up, isn't it? Let's just look at the scripture Matthew 21, verse 1. And when they had approached Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this took place in order that what was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their garments on them. And he sat on the garments. And, and, and most of the crowd spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, note that, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now the events that Matthew describes here are are really unusual unless you consider them in the context of the rest of scripture. Scripture. Palm branches, a donkey, uh, coats thrown on the ground, all of this sort of thing, singing and shouting. What what in the world is this all about? Well, you need the rest of the Bible to make sense of it. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Here's a passage, lots of people have said it since then, but here's a passage that really proves the point. Jesus, God's anointed king, Psalm 2 speaks of the anointed one, Jesus is deliberately orchestrating the fulfillment of Yahweh's ancient promises to his people that he would send them and his world a benevolent, all-powerful king to reign over them forever. Is that your Jesus? Are you with him? Genesis 49, for example, gives us the account of Jacob blessing his children with these words, beginning in verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from beneath his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine." So think of this, God's people um, thronging around Jesus as he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, the, the, the people pouring out of Jerusalem to, to meet him as they behold this, this scene that Matthew has described, are the descendants of those who throughout human history uh, anticipated the coming of a great king the fulfillment of this promise is unfolding right before their very eyes. To this one, this one from the tribe of Judah, Jesus of Nazareth, shall be the obedience of the peoples. What what peoples? All people. All people. And the donkey thing is especially odd. You know, it's okay to think that when you read scripture at first. Well, that's odd. I wonder what that's about. The donkey thing is especially odd if you consider that Jesus is never seen riding anything throughout the Gospels. There's no public transportation except for one's sandals, right? Um, so, so he's always shown walking, uh, just like all of the, the poor people were always walking, and most people were poor, and so they walked. So he's shown walking and walking and walking uh, from Jericho to Bethany to the Mount of Olives now, says Matthew. And yet now he rides just the last little part of this journey down the Mount Olivet, across the Kidron Valley, up the hill again to Jerusalem and its Temple Mount. And, and he's on a colt and, and you just have to ask yourself, in fact, you're, you're meant to ask yourself, Why? I mean, did he just get all of a sudden just tired of walking? Just can't, can't make it the last little part of the trip? Well, no, Jesus knows precisely what he is doing. He, he is orchestrating something here that, that, that his own disciples don't recognize at first. That would come later for them. He's fulfilling God's ancient promise to his people. Jesus is the king who has come to unite all of God's people under his rule. He alone will hold the ruler's staff, just as the scriptures foretold. He's making a very deliberate statement on this day, who he is, and why he has come in such a way into his Jerusalem. He is the king. Are you with him or not? Matthew makes this very clear, doesn't he, in verses 4 and 5. What what, what did the prophet Zechariah foretell? Um, Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10 say this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Make a loud shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, lowly and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. And he will speak peace to the nations and his reign will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, even the the tiniest little details here, in Matthew's narrative, um, the disciples laying their garments on the colt, for example, are symbolic of Jesus' promised kingship. Jesus is the king who comes in peace to bring peace. Peace between God and man. Are you at peace with God? you have a sense of that? We were just reminded here yesterday at a memorial service that life is really short. And every person has an appointment with God who will judge. You have a sense of being right with God, at peace with God? Jesus has come to bring peace, peace between God and man, peace between people made in God's image. Do you realize there's a day coming when there really will be peace on planet earth? Listen to Second Kings 9.13 and its description of the, the coronation of one of Israel's kings, a fellow by the name of Jehu. It says, Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. Now just think about this. People taking off their, their outer garments, their cloaks, that we would call it a coat. Um, um, what a strange thing that is to us. But, but it wasn't in that culture a strange thing. In the ancient world, people knew you by the cloak that you wore. Now, for some of us, that is still true, right? I mean, I have jackets that I've worn for you know longer than some of you have been around. But um, what was I talking about? The, the, <laughs> the, the cloak represented a person's identity. It, it, it was their security. They didn't have a closet full of cloaks. They had one. In fact, God told his people, if somebody gives you their cloak as, as surety, for a loan, you give it back to them at night. They need that to sleep. That's their, their bedding. The cloak was a big deal. The outer garments are the emblems of, of, of who they are, their, their identity, and they, and they surrender all of that to the king for his purposes. That's happening in Matthew 21. I wonder, has it occurred to you with respect to Jesus That to know him as king and savior is to have your security and your identity all bound up in him. Placed at his disposal. Jesus' disciples are beginning to see, however dimly, that this is so With respect to their master, Jesus. In fact, Luke tells us that they, the disciples, seated Jesus on the donkey. What what an image this is! The king has come. And they're learning that a disciple's private allegiance to the king at some point must go public. That's what's happening here in Matthew 21. It's getting harder and harder to straddle the fence with respect to Jesus. Soon they hear the glad voices of many, many, many others, a multitude of others at this event, uh, rightly concluding that Jesus is their promised king. Century after century after century, God's people had sung Uh, Psalm 118 and and some of the others on their ascent to the city and and to the temple mount. Hosanna to the son of David, verse 9. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's just pick that apart. Gary got us started earlier. Hosanna meaning what? You know, God saves or Lord save now. Son of David. He is the promised Messiah. Messiah. He is the promised deliverer, the Lord's anointed. And then Hosanna in the highest. In other words, he's heaven's king whose kingdom is everlasting. It's difficult to comprehend, really, the, the energy behind this excitement. I was thinking about that as, as you all were singing earlier, and I just, it just brought a chill to me to hear the, the glad voices of God's people praising the king. And yet we'd have to amplify that many, many times to get a sense of what's happening here outside of Jerusalem and then in the city as Jesus enters. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, verse 10. Jerusalem is stirred in much the same way the city was stirred back in Matthew 2 when Jesus' birth was announced. And and the thing of it is, friends, Jesus always has this effect on people. Have you noticed that? He upsets people's thinking. He unsettles the heart. He, he puts people in a place where they, 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 they kind of have to decide whether they're with him or not. Some of you here this morning are here by God's good providence because he's bringing you to a place where you're either with him or not. Well, the thing of it is, is I'm not even to the start of the sermon, which is always awkward, but we're getting close. Look at verse 12. Look, Look at verse 12. Are you still listening? And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And we're familiar, are we not, with the zeal of the Savior in cleansing the temple. This is actually the second temple cleansing that we read of in the Gospels. And so I I probably don't have to tell you uh, how offended Jesus is when people use him simply to line their pockets or feed their egos or look holy to others or justify taking advantage of others. All of that was going on and had become commonplace at this strip mall that was set up in the temple's outer courts. What, 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 what I want us to notice are the words of our king. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And so here is Jesus, he's tossing out uh, the proud, he's tossing out the posers, He's tossing out the profiteers from God's house on what authority? On what authority? And people were asking that back then. Who, who is this? Who, who does he think he is? The, this rabbi from Nazareth. And you know, people are still asking that question today. And I want you to notice that Jesus is not so much cleansing the temple as he is claiming the temple. Don't miss that. Jesus is not so much cleansing the temple as he is claiming the temple. Jesus is acting as if he is God himself because God himself through the prophet Isaiah had designated the temple a house of prayer. In other words, a place of communion between God and his people. And Jesus is acting as if he's God himself because God himself, through the prophet Jeremiah, had condemned the temple's use as a self-centered commercial venture, all dressed up in religion. Do you realize, friend, that this Jesus is God? And as God, he has all authority to look into the temple of your heart the place God now chooses to dwell with his people. And he has all authority to move your furniture around, so to speak. This belongs, this doesn't. We're keeping this, we're getting rid of that. The thing about this Jesus is right when you think you're measuring him, you find that he's been measuring you. He simply does not leave you with the option of thinking that he's, he's just an important figure in history. He, he's a good teacher of ethics. The founder of a, of a religious belief system on a shelf of other belief systems. A good luck charm. A bumper sticker. Now this Jesus is God. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the king who is God and he's come to establish an everlasting kingdom. And here's the thing, guys. He's begun this kingdom work in the hearts of his people. The kingdom of God is present. Wherever a heart that is yielded to the kingship of Jesus is present. So, your participation in the kingdom that Matthew writes of in this gospel is inseparably linked to your disposition toward Christ as God and King. Are you hearing this? Why is there a bustling marketplace? In the first place, a commercial venture in the, in the very place that God chose to symbolically represent his presence with his people. Well, remember, as I said earlier, um, the people of the first century didn't call this day Palm Sunday. We came up with that one. Um, this is Lamb Selection Day. What's happening here in Jerusalem Lambs were being driven through the sheep gate toward the temple courts to be examined for sacrifice. So this is the day the people came to choose and purchase the lambs that they would then take into their homes. I mean, just try to picture this and observe them for purity and then bring them back to the temple on Friday to be sacrificed. That's Passover, right? God's people remembering the means of their rescue from bondage in Egypt way, way, way back when. Sprinkle the blood of the lamb on your doorposts. The blood alone will save you from God's wrath. And sure, they could bring their own animals, but they'd run the risk of the animals not being approved for sacrifice. And then the people in charge who rejected their lambs, like like any decent used car salesman, just happened to have a better model available for a price, you see. And Jesus sees this, and it sickens him once again. And, and, and here's the place where if we're not careful, we might just hear the gospel. The king has come into his Jerusalem through the sheep gate on lamb selection day. For four days, the lambs will be scrutinized. And so will Jesus, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of his people will be scrutinized. I urge you, church, to read uh, in Matthew's gospel, the Passion Week passages, you know, Matthew 21 through 27, uh, and see for yourselves the scrutiny of the Lamb. And let's just do this. We'll meet on Friday here and compare notes. Should we do that? Let's do that. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all of us like sheep have gone astray Each of us has turned to his own way, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, on Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. You see, Jesus, the king, is the lamb provided by God to atone for the sins of his people. And here... In Matthew 21, the people are oblivious to this all for the most part. That's what makes Palm Sunday a bittersweet thing. We don't know on Palm Sunday. Are we supposed to be happy? Are we supposed to be sad? We don't know. But you and I are not oblivious as were those first century observers. Cluelessness about this Lamb of God who takes away sin is not an option for us. Probably not for a single person in this room. Not for lack of information anyway. Have you heard this before? Anybody? That's my point. The Father has affirmed the perfections of the Lamb. So the Father will soon allow this circus in Jerusalem to unravel to the point where sinful men will coronate the king with a crown of thorns and nail his bloodied body to a rough wooden cross, God's spotless lamb will be put to a criminal's death just as the scriptures foretold. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He won't save by military might. He won't save by by political prowess. The people got that wrong big time, didn't they? The king saves by dying as the lamb whose death is the only death that wins your peace with God. Are, Are you with him or not? It begs the question, I suppose, at least it did for me, so I'll foist it on all of you. Um, If Jesus rejects the proud and the posers and the profiteers, who does he accept? Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You see, Jesus gladly receives those who come to him because they know they need him. You know, the Bible says that men and women like us are born spiritually blind, utterly unable to see our great need for Christ as Savior. And it takes a work of the Spirit of God to remove the scales, doesn't it? Has that happened to you? It takes a work of the Spirit of God to open blind eyes. So that we might see our great need of forgiveness, freely given by faith in Christ. And to see this Jesus, the the spotless lamb, the king of kings, as our only hope of rescue from God's wrath. This is who he is. This is why the king has come to his Jerusalem that way. And the thing of it is, is that does bring me to the start of this morning's message. And that's the bad news. Um, The good news, really short sermon from here on out. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the marvelous things which he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So we, we, we began with a premise. Are you still with me? The premise was what? Jesus orchestrates events so that people must decide whether they're with him or not. Jesus receives worship from these children. These are the king's glad children. And and, and the children are among the few who really get it this day. So, So I beg you to hear this. The people who are loyal to Jesus in Matthew 21 are not the fickle masses. You and I both know from reading this before many times that most of the people will, will will stop their praises and soon be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted a king of their own imagining. Somebody to come and jack up the Romans, get on with the Jewish reign over the earth. They, did, they didn't want a king who was first a lamb, but, but, but the loyal few, and that I mean the disciples who put the garments on the donkey and, and these children, they don't understand all that they're taking in on this first Palm Sunday. That would come later when the Holy Spirit began to teach the things that Jesus had instructed his people. But the thing of it is, friends, is they did know Jesus and they did love Jesus. Though they saw his kingdom dimly and the importance of his sacrifice at Calvary in shadow. But Jesus, you notice, receives their sincere believing worship. Look at verse 15 Hosanna to the Son of David, the children cry. How glad they are to hail Christ as King. Are you? Are you glad to hail Christ as king? How glad they are to ask for his salvation now. That's what that word means, Hosanna. Lord, save now. Have have you asked him that? How do they know to say this, these kids? Well, parents, listen. Surely their parents taught them well. I hope that encourages you. What a testimony this is to God's grace, good parenting, and simple childlike faith. The religious professionals missed it. The kids get it. And the thing of it is, friends, is you must come to this Jesus, the Lamb who is king, like a child. Not childishly, but with childlike faith. Unless you come to him this way, needy, gladly so, you've no place in his kingdom. The Savior is pleased to come right down to your level, right down to my level, that low, needy as we are, from youngest to oldest. That's why in verse 15, the proud, the, the proud, the posers, the the, the, the the profit makers, they're indignant. That's a really strong word. And if you want to know what it means, as if you don't already, just look at the world around you today and see the indignance of sinful man apart from grace when the name of Jesus is hailed as Savior and King. And the world's always trying to hush God's children. Don't you think? This is not a new thing. It's the same old stuff. Unrestrained joy expressed to the Lord's Christ still is met with offense. And and if you don't agree with that, um, and and that's fine. You don't have to agree with everything that's said here. Um, but, but But I dare you to just try this out this week. Zeal for the Lord offends still today. Do you realize that Christians don't have to try to be offensive? There's there's too many of us who don't understand that. Nowhere in scripture does the word of God tell you to go out into the community and just just be really obnoxious. Be that person, you know. You go out into the wide world and you mention the name of Jesus. Jesus and you hail him as your king, and you own him as your savior, and you delight that others would do likewise, you don't have to try to be offensive. The world is indignant today at the name of Jesus Christ. But but look at the joy with which the savior receives the worship of those with childlike faith. Verse 16, the Pharisees are saying, 'Have have you never read... What an indictment this is. Don't you guys know your Bible? Has your self-sufficiency and your self-righteousness so blinded your eyes? Has your pride made you so lame in your own attempts to reach God? Jesus quotes straight out of Psalm 8. The scripture we heard read earlier this morning. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. God himself has put this praise in their hearts. Let them sing. God himself has opened their eyes to see Jesus as the king of kings. Let them sing. God himself has prepared a lamb for them. Let them sing. Have you never read? These guys spent their whole lives reading. They spent their whole lives reading the Bible and going to church services. And let me love you enough to suggest it might be not unlike some who are here today. How many Palm Sunday services have some of you been to, do you suppose? How many times have you left some church with a scrap of a palm branch maybe and a warm fuzzy feeling at something that you remember from your childhood and you go home year after year to your colored eggs and your chocolate bunnies ignoring the necessity of this lamb's sacrifice for your sins let alone this king's claim on your life. Are you hearing this? But here you are on this day and some guy says to you again and again, Jesus orchestrates events so that you must decide whether you're with him. And you say, well, I didn't come to be badgered like that. I'm here because a friend invited me. We're going to go to brunch if you ever stop talking. (laughs) But and I and I understand that. But let, let me just let me just leave you with this: this Jesus, who is God's promised anointed King, God's Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, is coming once more to this earth, to His Jerusalem. Yes, he died on a cross just a few days after the events we read of here in Matthew 21. Just as the scriptures said he would, the cheers of, of Palm Sunday ceased and they were replaced with cries, crucify him. But, but friends, that tomb you know about, it's empty, you see. And we'll celebrate his resurrection next Sunday. And when he comes again, he'll not be riding a donkey and he'll not enter through some sheep gate as he likely did in this morning's text. The temple is gone because the temple of God is now the heart of every man and woman and boy and girl surrendered to Christ as king. And one day he'll come in power. To reign on the earth with those within whom he's entered through the open gate of your heart. Is that you? Are you with him or not? And we who know him will never cease our rejoicing. If you thought it was wonderfully Um, loud when we were worshiping earlier. Think of how loud it will be when this song is sung. Revelation 5 says this, Worthy are you because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, John says, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. This is our Jesus. And again, you know, the world so often says to the king's glad children these days, you're ignorant, uh, you're foolish, hush now. Your are childish to say you believe in such things this time of year. You running around saying Christ is king and all of this. Have another Cadbury egg. Leave us all alone. Don't be discouraged by that. It's always been this way. It's always been this way. Jesus hears and sees the same things that the chief priests and scribes hear. And he he says what? They're not ignorant. The king says with respect to his children, I delight in them. Never mind what others say, says Jesus to you. I love the exuberance. I receive the worship of those who come to me with childlike faith. And friends, the gospel and the gospel life, the life that flows from allegiance to the king, the, the needy faith in the lamb of God, uh, will often be met with indignation and belittlement. It, is, it has always been this way. So, do, so don't be surprised and don't be derailed and don't shrink back and don't stop singing. If Christ is honored in your life, his enemies will be indignant. Let them be. But may this world's indignation Never quiet our exuberance. Never halt our obedience. Nor dim our witness. Amen? Amen. All right, well, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful record of our king entering his Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit that allows us to see through the lens of faith that Jesus is our eternal God who condescended himself to become like us and live among sinners like us. The only perfect life that has ever been lived for us and then go to that cross and have his blood shed to atone for our sins and to rise again in the power of the King of Kings and so eager to share this victory with his people. Lord, would you enable faith among us this day? And Lord, would you please encourage our hearts, stir our hearts as you stirred hearts in Jerusalem, Lord, that we might, never cease our praise, that we would not be those who shrink back when the world says, hush now. And Lord, may we live in light of your
0: return. May it be soon. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.